Grace, mercy, and peace to you from God our Father, and from our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Amen. Here's something to ponder about from today's Gospel reading. Who are the Samaritan women today? Who are the Samaritans in your life? They don't just have to be people who've had a number of spouses or partners. Think about the people who you believe are not acceptable. Maybe they are people that you're not comfortable being around. Perhaps they're people with a different set of values. And maybe they are people who don't live or believe as you believe they should. Or perhaps they don't carry on their business as you think they should. Often, such people are shunned. We tend to avoid them. Maybe that's because of how they live their life. Maybe it's because of the stories that others tell about them, people who don't really know them or know their situation. Maybe it's in part because we're so worried about our own reputations. What would people think if we hung around with someone like that? Who can you think of who could be a Samaritan in your life today? The homeless person on the streets of Austin? The immigrant at your place of work? The classmate that nobody else seems to like very much? The person who irritates or offends you with constant swearing? The business person that you suspect is making money immorally, if not illegally? The person you think is a bit strange or whom your friends ridicule? Who are the Samaritans in your life. When we look at our gospel reading for today, we see a woman who is broken. She has experienced rejection in her life. She knows that the people around her love to point out her flaws and to judge her actions. She probably doesn't like mixing with these people, but she has to live among them. So, she approaches Jacob's well to get some water. This will at least give her some short-term refreshment. And she does this at a time of day when she thinks no one else would be around, the heat of the middle of the day, to avoid having to experience any unnecessary embarrassment. Do you know anyone like this? Someone who will avoid a confrontation or situation or steer clear of certain people just to avoid feeling uncomfortable or ashamed. Some years ago, a Lutheran congregation decided to do something out of character. They decided to physically introduce themselves to the people living around their church. They didn't just mail out a flyer. Small groups of members actually walked around the neighborhood, knocking on doors and introducing themselves and their congregation. They told the people that they met where the church was. They invited them to a fellowship meal. They gave them a brochure about some of their activities, invited them to worship and to other events, and they answered any questions that they could about Christianity and what Lutherans believed. They received a variety of responses. Some people expressed amazement that others would be interested in them coming to their church. Some said, I always wondered what that big building was for. Many said, We ain't into that religious stuff. Others asked, what's the catch? However, there was one instance that really stood out for this congregation. 
They knocked on the door of an elderly lady who lived alone. On hearing who they were and that they were there to invite her to something, she was overwhelmed with emotion. Tears welled up in her eyes, and she spoke with a stammering voice. I used to go to a Lutheran church, but I got divorced, so I stopped going. I was worried about what people might say. I thought that I would constantly be judged by people, and I didn't think that God would want me there either. She is now a regularly worshiping member of that congregation because the people of that congregation took time with her. They not only told her, but they showed her that Jesus constantly loves her and wants her to be a part of his family. And that is what Jesus did for this Samaritan woman at the well that day also. Jesus demonstrates his love for the woman in at least three ways. First of all, Jesus was resting at that particular well by choice, not by chance. Although Samaria was on the direct route between Judea and Galilee, Jesus had to make a deliberate decision to go to Samaria because it was the Jewish habit to bypass it. Usually Jews took a longer route around Samaria to avoid the unclean and unacceptable Samaritans. So, Jesus had gone out of his way to be in a place where he could meet people who were in need, where he would meet people who were hurt and broken, people like that Samaritan woman, people like you and me. Remember, he came to earth for us, for all of us, for people infected by sin, sin which brings hurt into our lives. And at times we're hurt and broken because of our own sin. At times we're hurt and broken because of the sins committed against us. But Jesus came to us despite those problems that we have. Secondly, Jesus takes the initiative. He does something which even this woman knows is not normal. He talks to her and he asks her for a drink of water. In our culture, this may sound like nothing unusual, but in that world, it was not considered appropriate for a man and a woman who did not know each other to talk to one another, no matter the circumstances. It just wasn't acceptable. And what's more, those who were Jewish like Jesus would have nothing to do with Samaritans. Not only would they not drink water from the same container, but if a Samaritan person had so much as even touched a cup or a water jug, then that vessel was considered totally unclean. It would have to be ceremonially purified or destroyed so that it wouldn't contaminate or corrupt everything else with which it came into contact. So, Jesus initiating a conversation with this woman shocks her. A male Jew wanting to talk to her and wanting her help, a Samaritan. This surprises her. But it begins a discussion that brings her closer to Christ. In relation to our lives, this is just what Christ does for each and every one of us too. He takes the initiative with you. He suffered, died, and rose again for you. He invites you into his family, which you first experienced when you were baptized, as we saw for the Jackson children this morning. And you continue to experience that invitation every time you are exposed to his word and participate in his family. He gives you plenty of opportunities in worship, in Bible studies, and in other congregational settings. Opportunities that allow you to participate. Opportunities that allow you to contribute. However, what was this woman's response? 
Look at verse 9. She attempted to use society's rules to prevent this interaction between herself and Jesus. Maybe she felt a little uncomfortable. Perhaps she had been burned before by broken promises, so she acted defensively. Or maybe she was just shocked and she didn't know what to say or do, much like Peter at the Transfiguration. As a Christian, how often have you experienced this? Whenever you have attempted to talk about the church or about Christianity, have you experienced and encountered people who have tried to halt the discussion by relying upon what they believe are the acceptable customs? Probably the most common one today is something along the lines of religion should be kept in private. You can believe all that stuff about Christianity, but just keep it to yourself. Religion isn't for me. Ironically, though, if people really examine their lives, they discover that even though they say they're not religious, they are in fact extremely religious. Many of them are even more religious than the average Christian. The fact is, they are devoutly devoted to, fully committed to, or even worshiping many other gods in their lives. Gods like sports, or money, or their careers, or their families, or their holidays, or their right to determine how they will live their lives. And all of these things may indeed bring them some satisfaction, but it's never a lasting satisfaction. And this brings us to the third way in which Jesus shows his love for that Samaritan woman. When Jesus said that the woman had had five husbands in her life, he may have been hinting at something a little bit more than just poor sexual discretion. On the surface, this appears to be a moral judgment, and perhaps it was. However, there's another meaning to consider. The word Baal in Hebrew, a language familiar to the Samaritans, can be applied to mean both God and master. That is, in that cultural context, a husband, the master of the household. Either way, what Jesus was saying to the woman was, you have sought love and support and attention from so many things, and all of these things have let you down. They have, in fact, given you extra worries, extra burdens in your life. They could only ever give you short-term satisfaction. But what I have is what you truly need, what will fully satisfy your longings and will last forever. And at times, God does this for us too. He uses the situations that occur in our lives to sometimes jolt us into realizing that maybe we are devoted to things that have a limited life too. Not only that, some of these things may actually cause us damage for many years after they appear to give us any sort of benefit. God also uses His Holy Scriptures to tell us what is worthwhile and what is not. And He sometimes even uses our fellow Christians to guide us and to support us. This is not a license for any of us to go running around hypocritically pointing out one another's flaws, of course. Remember, Jesus developed a relationship with this woman first, and we too should develop relationships with others before we get too critical. But it is an action of love on Jesus' part to point out to this Samaritan woman and to us that some of the things that we are devoted to will only ever give us short-term satisfaction or might even do us great harm. We may not like hearing that. However, in hearing that, Jesus helps us to put our lives into perspective. He helps us to see that we should be more devoted to those things that provide eternal life. In doing this for us, Jesus gives us another road to take 
a road that leads to life, to glory, and to the lush beauty of heaven, not to the emptiness that this world offers. On this road, he nourishes us with life-giving water, the water that we first experienced in our baptism, where we receive promises that we can constantly call upon. But he also gives us the constant nourishment of his word, both to guide us with his law and to comfort us with his gospel. This road is constructed by God himself. It exists because God wants us to be in heaven with him. He knows that the best that we can do when we're left to ourselves is to build a crumbling road with a bridge that is guaranteed to collapse under the weight of our sins, our burdens, and all those other things that trouble us. So God builds us a road that is based solely upon his son's death and resurrection. And he provides us with the necessary sustenance on this journey with him. Our baptism, his scriptures, holy communion, and worship. These things are God's tangible ways of showing us his love. They are his means of reinforcing and continually bringing Christ's death and resurrection into our lives to sustain our faith and to keep us close to him. These things say to the Samaritan women of today, and to each and every one of us as well, God accepts you, even with all of your flaws. God loves you, even with all of your bad habits, and with all of your burdens, and with all of your worries. And he has given, and continues to give you, his gift of eternal life. A few of you may have noticed today that our altar paraments and the vestments are red rather than the purple that is normally used in the season of Lent. Red is the color of fire, of blood, and of martyrs, as today happens to be the Feast of St. Matthias. You all remember St. Matthias, don't you? Well, I suspect that many of you don't, actually. He's one of the more obscure disciples. Matthias was that follower of Jesus who was added to the twelve apostles after the suicide of Judas. While he may have joined the effort a bit later than the others, his role in spreading the gospel of Jesus Christ in the world of his day was every bit as important as those apostles who are far more known to us. He may not be well known. He may not have had anything that he might have written get incorporated into the Holy Scriptures. But Matthias conveyed the gospel of Christ to others. And for those who heard it from him and those who were granted faith in that hearing, his ministry made all the difference in the world and beyond. Just as your role in spreading the good news of Jesus may be every bit as critical to some Samaritan out there in your world today, Matthias may be somewhat obscure. And Judas may be famous for all of the wrong reasons. After his treacherous betrayal of Jesus, Judas had remorse, but he did not have repentance. He didn't believe that Jesus could forgive what he judged to be the horrible magnitude of his sin. And so, Judas died, apart from the forgiveness that the Savior offers to everyone. Forgiveness that we desperately need, regardless of how terrible or how righteous we might think we are. Judas died in sin and was lost. But Matthias lived in faith and served Christ's kingdom. He too was a sinner, but he knew and he trusted Jesus to be his Savior. And so we celebrate Matthias as a saint of the Christian church. The Samaritan woman and all of her neighbors were sinful too. But Christ's words reached them and they believed. 
we also, in spite of our sins, are numbered with them and with Matthias among the saints of God. If we repent, if we believe, Jesus brings us from a state of brokenness, from this despair of being burdened by sin and doubt, to a state of being fully accepted by God. He places us in a position to be reconciled with God, to being welcomed by God. It doesn't matter that you may be a modern-day Samaritan, outcast or despised. It doesn't matter if you become Jesus' follower as an infant, a youngster, a teen, or even as an adult. All Jesus wants to do is reach you, to make you whole, and to give you His living water and the heavenly food of His kingdom, now and forever. Amen.